All right, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, if you would, please. I I as well will turn to that verse, Matthew 7 and verse number 12. We're going to read just this one verse. And as you can see uh, from the description today, we're preaching on the golden rule. We're continuing our series in Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7 and verse number 12. And if you haven't ever read this verse, which most of you probably have, um, you've at least heard of the concept. And if you've never heard the concept worded in this fashion, I'm going to say you already know it's true. But it is certainly the chief standard by which humanity should go. Verse 12 says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, For this is the law and the prophets. And I'm going to ask if you would, let's pause there, bow our heads together, and let's begin today with a word of prayer. Father, before we uh, get into this, this verse and this sermon, we want to stop and thank you for being so tremendously good to us. Thank you for the love that lifted us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for, for the God that you are all the power and knowledge. Lord, you're eternal, you're high, you're holy, you're lifted up, you're just, you're always right. But God, at the same time, you're filled with mercy and grace and love. Lord, help us today as we dig into this, what looks to be quite an easy concept. I pray that you might teach us. Please guide me as I speak about it. I pray that you would touch hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, verse 12, as you know, this is called the golden rule. This this verse, I believe, is another way of saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you could imagine, right, Jesus, if we were to have him come in today's society. Okay, I think I'm back. Christina, just let me know that we lost the connection. I'm sorry, our internet has been in and out a little bit, so I've switched over to my uh, mobile data. Hopefully that will hold out for the rest of the time. Let me me try to backtrack a little bit. I think you heard me read the verse, but just in case you didn't, verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, as I've mentioned Uh, You may not have heard me mention it, but as I was just saying, if Jesus were to come in today's world and a news reporter were to approach him and to ask of him the explanation, what do you mean when you say love your neighbor as yourself? I believe verse 12 would be the perfect answer, the perfect explanation or description of love. What does it look like? What do you mean? Describe it for us. Break it down. Tell us in another way, what do you mean by that? Do unto others what you would want men to do to you. This, I believe, is Jesus' explanation for what love should look like. If you've been in our church for a while, you'll remember that I've offered this definition for love, putting other people before yourself. Do you see? I, I don't think that my definition measures up to as well as what Jesus has put it here. But do you see how that fits into this verse? Putting others before yourself. Jesus has given us that concept. Whatsoever men should do to you, do ye even so 
to them. Think about others before you act. Paul said it like this in his epistles. He told the Corinthians, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12, the very last phrase in the last verse. The next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, we call that the charity chapter. It's all about love. And he concludes that chapter by saying there are three things, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. It's love. Now, when we talk about love, we, talk, we, we think of this verse. This is the greatest description, I believe, of love and what it means to love your neighbor that mankind is ever going to hear. We call it the golden rule for a reason. It is the chief standard. You are not going to be able to find one statement that sums up proper human behavior, proper behavior within a society. You're not going to find a better standard a greater human law than this law, the golden rule. Why is it so golden? It, it seems like such an easy concept, right? And to be honest, it's been a little difficult to prepare for this because I feel as if we all know this already. And yet, the, the more I looked at this verse, the more I tried to meditate on it and, and think deeply about it, the more it started to reveal to me, the more the more I realized, uh, I should say, the, the more it began to offer me. And I, I want to try to offer you those same things this morning. There are three things I want to say about this golden rule that makes it so golden, that makes it so important. The first thing I want to say is that the golden rule is instinctive. It is instinctive. Maybe I could say it is innate. We, we naturally know that this is right. We don't even need anybody to really explain this. As I've mentioned, I, I feel as if when I preach this, you probably already are convinced that this golden rule, this law, is the right way for society to act. But how do we know that? Why is it instinctive? If you were to approach the average sinner on the street, 99.9% .9 of the time, if you ask that man, treating others the way you want to be treated, is that right? almost every time that person is going to say, yeah, yeah, that's the right way to live. It doesn't really matter what their background is. If they were raised in a Christian home, if they were raised in the Far East, if they're a Buddhist, if they're Catholic, if they're Muslim, even if they're atheist, most atheists will readily agree that this is the right way to live. Treat others as you want to be treated. Only the most hardened heart and mind the most seared conscience, only those would try to argue around the, the truth of this verse. But why? Why is this verse so naturally apparent? Why is it instinctively true without uh, a lot of evidence or explanation? How do we readily accept it? L let me have you turn your Bibles to a couple places. Get 1 Thessalonians, hold Matthew 7 if you would. Get 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'd like to show you verse number 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse number 9. For my first point in talking about how the golden rule is instinctive, I must admit I'm aiming at your mind uh, before, in points 2 and 3, I'm going to be aiming at your heart. But hopefully lay a little foundational work for our thinking here. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 9. Paul writes, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Now, I must admit, as I read this verse, I see how Paul is, is writing this to Christians. He mentions brotherly love, which definitely has a Christian ring to it. And when he says, I have no need to write unto you, I believe what he's saying is this is apparently obvious. Not only is it ingrained in us, it is innate, but he says at the end, ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. As believers, as disciples of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And therefore, we have this constant and blessed reminder that we should treat others the way God treats us. The way that Christ loved us, we should love one another. So because of the indwelling Christ, we have a great advantage. We have this constant reminder to, to live life this way. However, let me take it a step further and say this. I believe every human being is in a way taught of God that this is the right principle by which they should live their lives. Even if they're not saved, deep down they know that this is right. Now, if they're not saved, how can they be taught of God that this is the right way to live. Come back to Matthew, but continue to hold Matthew 7. Uh, let me show you Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. I believe every human being which God created is taught, it is, let's say, programmed into their moral coding that loving one another is the right way. It is the chief Standard, Matthew 22, and let's get verse number 36. A lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Master, which is the great, great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now notice Jesus is giving us a ranking here. The first and great commandment love God. But, verse 39, he continues, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then in verse 40, you'll notice a connection to the golden rule. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In Matthew 7, Jesus, after giving the golden rule, said, For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule summarizes all of the right things that the law was trying to get people to do, it, it's a summary statement of everything God has revealed. So if you look back in the law, we call the first five books of the, of the Bible the Torah. And if you look in the Torah, everything that God revealed through Moses for the nation of Israel, now some of those things were, were peculiar laws, right? It was meant, they were meant to make Israel a peculiar people. So that's why you have some strange things mentioned in their dietary laws and feast days, things that were unique to that nation. However, however, the vast majority of the laws, commandments, precepts, ordinances were things that would simply make for an upright society. If you were to count all of the laws, precepts, uh, statutes, etc., 
you come out with 613 different laws. Now, that's a lot of laws to try to keep in mind. So what God did in two places in the Torah, you find a list of 10 commandments. Those 10 commandments can be broken into two categories. The first four commandments deal with a man's relationship to God. The last six commandments deal with a man's relationship to another man. And if you wanted to properly label those two sets of commandments, right? You could say the first four, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The last six, love your neighbor as yourself. So you have 613 that funnel down and you can simplify or summarize into 10. And then if that's a bit too much for you, you can even simplify it more and say there are two. Now notice the ranking here. The first and great commandment, love God. The second one is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's the common denominator? Love. That's why it's like unto it. Now, I want to say this. The second law, love your neighbor as yourself, would not be true if we didn't have the first law. You have to have that foundation of that relationship, that connection to God. You have to have some connection to a God of love that would therefore make it necessary and right to love your neighbor. Think of this, if, if there is no God, if we did arise from natural processes, an accidental big bang, and we you know, crawled out of the primordial ooze, and eventually, after millions and billions of years, we became what we are. If we were simply dancing to the beat of our DNA, then all we would need to do is survive. And if helping you would help me survive, if treating you right would help me survive, I would do it. But, but if you could not help me survive, then there would really be no need for me to treat you right or take into consideration how I can help you. That second law would crumble and fall if you remove the creator of the first law. Love God. Now, remember, God, He's the one that teaches us to love one another. Where did this begin? It began on day six when God created man in His image. Remember this, God is love. It is His nature. It's part of Him. When God made man, we were made in His image. You can think of this as a mirror, right? A mirror reflects an image. So here's God and you, mankind, you are the mirror. And we are to reflect this perfect image. So man, when he was originally made, was made with this perfect version of love. It was built into him. You say, but if that's the case, if we were made in God's image, righteousness, true holiness, and the ability to love, what happened? Why don't we keep that golden rule if it's instinctive, if we know deep down that it's right? Because in Genesis 1, we were made with this mirror image of God, bearing these characteristics, these attributes. But by Genesis 3, sin entered in and smashed the mirror. And now when you look in the mirror, it's all cracked. You can see it's reflecting back an image but it's distorted. It's not working properly. That's exactly what's happened to us because of sin. Deep down, we know that it's right to love. And when we were, we were created, we were inclined. It was natural for us to just love. 
But then when sin entered in, it inclined us the wrong way. We're inclined to be selfish. We're inclined to be foolish and not think things through, not consider others and just consider ourselves. We're inclined this way. That's what the sinful nature is. It's an inclination to do what's wrong. Forgive me if I'm leaning over <laughs> just to illustrate. You know what happens? Because of sin, we often fall into this trap of selfishness, foolishness. We don't obey this chief golden standard. But when we do that wrong, you know what? Deep down within us, we know it's wrong. Deep down within us, we, after we've done it, we think, yeah, you know what? That, that, that just doesn't... I felt good while I was doing it, but I regret it. Something in us knows that it should be done that way. It is instinctive. Let me ask you this. When you read in Genesis 4 the story of Cain and Abel, who's the good guy? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Isn't it immediately apparent? Do you, you don't need a lot of evidence. You don't need me to turn you to cross-references and say this prophet said this and this scholar said that and Jesus said that. You can just read Genesis 4 and you know Abel's the good guy, Cain's the bad guy. When, when Cain killed his brother, God came to Cain and said, Where is your brother? You know what Cain said? Am I my brother's keeper? Do you see the evidence of sin coming into the world? All of a sudden Cain's just concerned about himself. No longer does he think, well, I'm going to treat Abel the way I would want to be treated. Am I my brother's keeper? Let him fend for himself. Let him deal with it. I got myself to worry about. Me first and everybody else next. Sin had smashed the mirror. Cain, there was a level of guilt. You can see that in Genesis 4. But we know instinctively that he's the bad guy. This rule, I believe we can call it the golden rule legitimately because it shows us so much implied and intuitive truth that there is a God, that God must be a God of love, and that God created us with the ability to love. And this, this law also shows us and reminds us that sin at one point entered in and messed up what God had made. It's amazing how this law, it truly does sum up the law and the prophets. It explains, it, it verifies everything that we know from the Old Testament. It speaks to reality that what we see going on around us is true, the way God has revealed it to us. I, can, before I move to the next point, I want to just show you in verse 12, I believe that Jesus even intimated this. The very first word of the verse, The very first word is therefore. And by saying therefore, you can see in the first, the, uh, the few verses before this, Jesus gave an illustration about a father taking care of his son. And then in verse 11, he said, if ye then being evil, he said, you guys are, are fallen sinners, you're, you're depraved, you, you have this inclination towards sin, but even you can grasp the concept that as a father should treat his child, then it is implied that God would treat us even better. The word therefore, I believe Jesus, if you notice, Jesus did not explain to the disciples that a father should love his son. Because it is just instinctive that a father should take care of his son. And it is also instinctive that we could imply from that that God would take even better care of us. So that maybe is just food for thought. And now I'd like to 
preach a little bit and try to reach your heart. There's more that we can learn from the golden rule. In Matthew 7, in verse number 12, it says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. I want to take a moment with the second part of this verse. I want to say that the golden rule is golden because it requires introspection. Introspection. It is instinctive and it requires introspection. Now, what do I mean by introspection? You have to examine your heart and your mind. You have to, you have to stop and think about this, which, by the way, I think is why the golden rule doesn't get followed very often. We are prone to simply act on impulse instead of first taking, taking a moment to think a thing through. Think about everything that's involved. This rule requires deep introspection. Now, where would I see that in the verse? Do you see the word would? All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. It doesn't say whatsoever things men do to you, do ye even so to them. We'll talk more about that later. It says whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Do you see in this that Jesus creates almost a hypothetical type atmosphere? He says you're going to have to stop and think what would you like for somebody to do to you? Because think, if you think about everything Jesus has preached in the Sermon on the Mount, He has told them that they will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. People will treat the disciples wrongly. They will have enemies. They will be despitefully used, and yet they are told to love their enemies. They're not told to fight back against their persecutors, but rather to rejoice in what's going on, for their Father in heaven is going to reward them for that. So Jesus... This, this sums up nicely what he's been teaching his disciples in this sermon. Now he's telling them to stop and think, what would you like for men to do to you? How would you like for them to treat you? So I'm going to ask you to do the same. Maybe this requires a little homework. When the sermon's over, just take a few moments and, and think through this. How would I like for people to treat me? How would I like for society to operate. Notice he says, whatsoever you would that men should do to you. Not one singular person, but men. So you think about, you can think about it on an individual basis, one man to another, one person to another. But you can also think about it on a large scale. How do I want society to operate? I, I did it. I tried to practice what I was going to preach. I stopped and I made a list. And after I made this list, I asked myself this question. And I want to ask you to do the same. Ask yourself this question. Am I willing to do what I expect from others? Am I willing to do what I expect from others? You cannot answer that question until you've taken time to stop and make your list what you would like for men to do. I, here, here's my list. This is, guys, it, it's a, I want to say a, a, a snapshot of the list. This list could go on and on. Within society, and personally, somebody, how I would like for them to treat me. Number one, generosity. I would appreciate that. Kindness. That's a broad category, but you understand. I, I, would, I would appreciate kindness. I would appreciate forgiveness. Sin has shattered my mirror just as it has shattered yours. And I'm going to make mistakes. I would appreciate forgiveness. Which leads to the next thing. I would appreciate patience. I would like honesty. I would like understanding. I would like for people to actually take time 
try to understand what's going on. I would like genuine effort. I, I can deal with failure, can't you? As long as somebody is making a genuine effort to do what's right, I can be much more patient. Genuine effort. How about this one? This one got me. When I got to this one, wow, I stopped for a while. I would like consideration. Wouldn't you like that? Consideration. Let me expand on that just for a moment. Before you do something for me or to me, I would like for you to take time, stop and think, why am I in this position? I want you to put yourself in my shoes. Once you do that, once you try to put yourself in my position, you are not only going to consider my current circumstance, but you are going to consider how I got to this circumstance. What have I gone through in my life that has made this particular trial so difficult? Did I make some mistakes? Is that why I'm in this mess that I'm in now or in this, uh, in this circumstance? Is it a tragedy that has happened? You need to take into consideration not just what's going on today, but, but my life. Do you realize how rarely we stop and take time to put ourselves in another person's shoes? In order to properly minister to them and help them, you really need to do that. Imagine the compassion that this would build if we were to take time to be considerate and actually think about what this other person has gone through, the society they grew up in, the home that they came from, what light they've had access to. When you think about all of that, I believe it would move your heart with compassion. It would allow you to weep with them that weep, to rejoice with them that do rejoice. It would help you to remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Hebrews 13, verse, verse 3. It would help you to suffer adversity as being in the body. Hebrews 13, 3. This introspection, taking time to think about others. How do I want them to treat me? I would want consideration. Now, the question again I ask, am I willing to do what I expect from others? Am I willing to be generous? Kind of, you see, pe people can be a little silly here. I, I want people to just stop by the house and hand me a million rand and give me a new car and give me this and give me that and do everything I ask for. But in Matthew 7, Jesus said, the, the son can ask bread. The father is not going to give him a stone. See, as we learned last week, he may not give him bread but he's not going to give him anything that hurts him. So the idea of what men should do to you, we, we can't be foolish about this. So I want, I want people to do everything I say. No, you don't. You want people to do what's right for you in your given circumstance. You want them to treat you with honesty, forgiveness, patience, genuine effort, consideration, all of that. Now, that, this is, I believe, I, I don't think anybody could argue with these, these virtues that I've mentioned. We would all like for society to operate by this golden rule, but it starts with you. It starts with you taking time for some introspection to put to use what we instinctively know. Why is the golden rule golden? It's instinctive. Number two, it requires, it forces introspection. Number three, it sparks initiative. It sparks initiative. Look again at the verse, Matthew 7 and verse 12. 
It says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Notice the command, do ye. It begins with hypothetical. You have to think it through in your mind. If you could create the perfect society and everybody could treat you just right, how would you like it? What would you think it should be? And then you take action. You do not wait for that person to do it first, for society to get right first. You have to have some initiative to get up and go do what you know deep down is right. Now, let me say this. The principle, the principle that you find in the golden rule is not unique to Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, you do read, love your neighbor as yourself. So it is expressed there in, in a different way, but it is there. But there were other cultures, there were other philosophers, there were other men that said this type of thing well before Jesus was on the earth and expressed it verbally. Confucius, he had a statement similar to this. Buddha, there were Greek kings, other heathen kings, there were poets, there were philosophers. Many men generated a statement that, that has this ring to it. But interestingly enough, when you look at all of their quotes, they always put it in the negative. It's the strangest coincidence. It reads, it reads much the same, but with the negative. So they would say, if you do not want somebody to do that to you, do not do it to them. Which at first, when you first hear it, you'd say, well, that's the same thing. Well, actually it's not. And because it's not, People have come to call that version of this rule the silver rule. The silver rule. Because it requires no action. Therefore, it doesn't quite measure up to this gold standard. It requires inactivity. It doesn't require any initiative at all. The, the silver rule simply says don't do wrong. Now, silver rules are still good rules. We find those in the Ten Commandments. You should not lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. The silver rules are good rules. But the golden rule requires positive action. It requires you to rise up and go do something good, not just abstain from doing something bad. Think this through with me. If you live your life according to the silver rule and you have in your mind that that is the chief standard, just don't do to others what I don't want them to do to me. You know, people say, I don't want people to bother me. Leave me alone. That's a silver rule. So I don't, it's strange. Have you ever done this? You, you ask somebody, if you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? They say, yeah, I think I will. Well, why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I don't kill anyone and I don't steal and I don't, I don't commit adultery. They, they always start listing silver rules. It's the strangest thing. I've been doing this more than 20 years and that's 99.9% .9 of the time. That's what they mention. Silver rules. If you live life by the silver rule, you are going to end up with an empty life. Think about that. You're going to get to the end of your life, look back, and you'll be able to tell me what you didn't do. A handful of nothing. Now, at least, right, at least you didn't do those bad things. But what did you do? 
the golden rule sparks initiative and says, well, the silver rule is almost implied in it, but the golden rule takes you a step further and, and fills your life with meaning, fills your life with purpose. Take into account the story that Jesus gave about the Good Samaritan, right? You remember this from Luke chapter 10? They were talking about in that parable that the point of it was, who's my neighbor, right? A lawyer had asked Jesus uh, about the, the law and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the lawyer was trying to get around it. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus gave this parable. A certain man, he was going down to Jerusalem from Jericho and on the way he got attacked. The thieves took his stuff and left him half dead there on the side of the road. A Levite passed by, then a priest passed by. The Levite and the priest, they one passed by, the other one actually went and, and looked at him and then just continued on. Do you know what the Levite and the priest did? They kept the silver rule. They, in, in their mind, I don't know what they were thinking, but in their minds, you could, or at least let's say you could say this about them, they didn't hurt the man any worse, right? If you apply this thinking, don't do to him what, what I wouldn't want anybody to do to me. Well, if I'm in that condition, I don't want anybody to kick me more, hit me more, steal anything else from me, or finish me off and kill me. They didn't do any of that. But what positive action did they take? None. They could get home and say, I, I, I kept the silver rule, but not the golden one. The Good Samaritan comes and he takes action. What would I want somebody to do for me? Even though this guy's a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and, and in our society, those two people groups don't mix. I'm gonna put all of that aside because that's just a bunch of nonsense anyway. This is a fellow human being and deep down, this is the way God programmed me and made me. I know this is right to do. I am going to do something good. And he put that Man, that half-dead man on the back of his beast carried him to an inn, left money with the keeper. You know how the story goes. He kept the golden rule. When you look at the life of Jesus, He is a walking, talking, living personification of the golden rule. Sure, Jesus did tell people to repent, to stop doing certain things. There were, there were some silver rule aspects to it. Uh, he said, go and sin no more. But when you look at his life, Jesus was constantly taking action. I think Peter summed it up best in Acts chapter 10 when he was talking about Jesus of Nazareth, anointed by the Holy Ghost. He went about doing good. He fulfilled the golden rule, a life filled with love, which is taking action, going and doing something. You know why I think a lot of people, or I, I, let me say it like this, they, uh, how a lot of people justify not keeping the golden rule is, is they say this, they, they think about it and they go, yeah, I know that I would want somebody to do this for me, but that person doesn't deserve it. If you knew about them what I know about them, you wouldn't help them either. I do understand that we have to take into account what this person has done, why they're in that situation, right? I mentioned that earlier. That's part of consideration. But too often, we are so quick to say, I'm not going to help because that person doesn't deserve it. Imagine if God treated us like that. Imagine if God said, you know, 
Those people down there don't deserve my son being sent from heaven to come and die for them. I'm going to let them get cleaned up and fix themselves and fix society. And if they're good enough, then I'll come and make a way for them to get to heaven. God didn't do that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. What, what is God's first move to bring a, a sinner home? He shows that sinner goodness. He loves his enemy. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. He makes the sun to shine on the, on the good man and on the evil man. He tries to lure that man to bring him in with goodness and kindness and love. Now, if that person continues to reject God's offer of love, then God might have to take other measures to get that sinner's attention. The last thing God wants to do is say, depart from me. There's nothing else I can do for you. I know you not. That's the last thing he wants. He's trying to avoid that. Let that be a lesson on how we should approach people. Say, that person doesn't deserve it. That's why we call it grace. How would I want somebody to treat me? Graciously. There might be a time where I need a rebuke, where I need somebody to say, listen, I want to help, but you need to learn a lesson. Sometimes tough love is what a person needs. But, but before we go to tough love, before we go to the extremes of ignoring people and, and even punishing them, why don't we first give grace a try? Why don't we live the way God built us to live? In loving kindness, goodness, grace, mercy. That is the standard that we should aim for. The golden rule is golden for a reason. It is instinctive, it causes introspection, and it provokes or sparks initiative. And with that being said, I would like to ask you, to ask you, what is it that you can do today that you would want somebody else to do for you? What action can you take and at the end of the day say, today I, I achieved the the golden standard. I hit the golden mark. I did as good as I can do. This is how God built me to be. What a fulfilling and satisfying day it will be if you can live up to the golden rule. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your help in explaining this. Thank you for building us the way you did. And Lord, you know our shortcomings. Sin has, has bent us the wrong direction. It shattered the mirror. Thank you so much for being gracious and sending your Son that He can start to put that mirror back together again and conform us back to the image that we were originally built in. Lord, we know it's a lifelong process and we, we constantly need your help. And if there's somebody listening today, God, that has never been saved, Lord, there's just no way that they can live up to this golden rule without you living inside of them, teaching them day by day how to love one another. Please, God, save that, that lost soul today. Help us, God. Help us to live by this chief standard, this, this great command that you've given us. Help us today, Lord, to take time to think it through and then put it to use. Father, we ask you, please bring us back tonight with hungry hearts, ready to hear from you again. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Folks, thank you so much for your time. Uh, forgive me, we had a couple glitches with the uh, technology, but I, I hope it worked out. And Lord willing, we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.